Hey, and welcome to the final and last day of the 12 days of tomfoolery. Okay, take the us away. final installment. I know. Yes, we're at the end of the road. And at the end of the road, and the 12th house is is the 12th house of the Zodiac. Oh. Uh, so the 12th house, yeah, the 12th house is the final water house. Um and I realized when I listened back to the episodes that, that I said the eighth house was the most mysterious of them all. And that was very erroneous of me. It is quite mysterious, but the 12th house is more mysterious. It is almost the house of mystery. It is the house of the collective unconscious. It is the house of all things hidden. It is uh, the house of endings, the house of sorrow, um, the house of mental <laughs> disorder and the house of self undoing, which in a material sense, not great. Um, it can definitely have negative connotations, but it is also the house of Dharma and by undoing of the self, um, rising above the ego and ascension. So it's, um, got a lot of planets in the, in the 12th house. So I have a lot of, uh, experience with it and it's not an easy energy, but there's a lot of beauty in the 12th house as well. Uh, it is also at the house of Pisces. Um, and the traditional ruler of Pisces is Neptune, which is the planet of uh, the unconscious, of psychic phenomenon, of um, dreams, of music, art, but also illusion. Um, because, you know, movies, art is an illusion. Um, so it's, it's a little good, a little bad. It's very tricky. Neptune is a trickster. So, Tiffany... What are you going to start us with? Uh, I'm going to talk about why we have our Christmas feast or season eatings, the history of Christmas Love dinner. It. Great. So it is believed that the forerunner of Christmas dinner was the midwinter feast enjoyed by our ancient ancestors. Feasts were held to celebrate the pagan midwinter solstice and the archaeological digs that have discovered the most popular meat served up were pork and beef. Pork would be cooked yeah. over spits, while beef would be chopped and used in hearty winter stews. To accompany the feast, seasonal fruits were consumed, such as crab apples and berries. The feasts of our ancestors were a lot different from the Christmas dinners we know and love today. But the basics, roast meat accompanied by a selection of trimmings, were already there many centuries ago. So, when the Romans conquered Britain, they brought with them their own gods and their own festivals. The main winter celebration was Saturnalia, held between the 17th and 23rd of December to honor Saturn, the god of seeds and sowing. The Saturnalia was unlike any other time of year in the Roman calendar. It was a time when everyone let their hair down, even slaves. Lavish feasts were held in Roman households where masters and their servants ate together, often with their masters serving food to their slave. Christmas started to look a little more familiar in the middle ages and so did the christmas dinner for the monks and the nuns of the many monastic orders scattered across the country christmas was a time of year where the strict rules that govern their lives were relaxed on the weeks leading to christmas the monks and nuns were allowed to add spices to their food tables were laden with pies mince meat dishes roast meat and fish much more than their usually austere members of the monastic orders ate throughout the year they were also known to enjoy a tipple at christmas with records showing that many monasteries conception of the wine and ale ramped up considerably during the festive season the christmas pudding made an appearance 
in the medieval period in the form of frumenti. Ordinarily, more like a soup than a pudding, frumenti was a combination of mutton and beef mixed with raisins and currants, spices, Mm. and wine. Ew. Yikes. It would evolve over the centuries to be the stodgy, fruity delight we know and love today. Just as the mince pie and savory ingredients of the Christmas pudding would eventually be replaced entirely with sweet ones, adding to the gigantic calorie count many of us rack up this time of year. Yeah, that's for sure. I've gained like 15 pounds in the last month, so <laughs> that's for sure. Relatable. R.I.P. R.I.P. My, my jeans. I gotta go to the gym. So, Katie Cates, what do you have for us in our final day of the holiday? Yeah. Well, you know, when you were talking, I was just thinking I didn't do this, but I should have. Yeah. Um, because the 12th house does, I don't know if I said this in the intro, it rules over addictions as well. Addictions oh. are often found in the 12th house, um, which I'm going to get into in a second. But I, we should have done like a list of like good Christmas wines to go with the food um, because being inebriated. Also, yeah, we should have done it, but next year, um, being inebriated also definitely squarely 12th house. Um, and Lord knows I love to be inebriated. Um, but I am going to do two quick things. The first is, and I love you guys that I'm talking about this because this is, I hate this more than anything in the world, but an article about the history of SantaCon. And Tiffany, are you aware of SantaCon? Have you been terrorized and nope. uh, traumatized by SantaCon? Well, you are very lucky. So I'll get into the article, but SantaCon is, it was huge in New York. And it's when a bunch of people dress up as Santa and just get absolutely annihilated, like hammered to the max. And this is, it's such an atrocious thing that like, even when I was in my mid twenties at like the height of my drinking and being debaucherous, I still was like, fuck no, no Santa con. Cause it's like people barfing on each other and like peeing in the streets. It's Ew. so gross. Yeah. It's really bad. And everyone's like, I've had to work a couple Santa cons and they cut, they're everywhere. They're not even at the bars. They like infiltrate it's just, it's horrible. And my one of my best friends, Chris, was just in New York and he texted me and he was like, oh no, it's Santa Con. And I was like, oh God, I saw it earlier. And I thought of you, I was so sorry. And then he, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. He's got a very mild case, but he got COVID. And I was like, it was, it's the Santa Con. Like you can't, you can't tango oh, with Santa Oh no. Santa Con strain. I know. He's, yeah, the Santa Con strain. That would be the, that would be a bad one. Okay. But here is the history right. of this just horrible thing. Okay. So what do secret societies, anarchists, and Christmas have in common? The answer, SantaCon. The global pub crawl, uh, during which adults dress up as Santa Claus and wander around the streets, first started in San Francisco in 1994 and has since expanded all over the world. Ugh. Um, there's been a SantaCon on every mm-hmm. continent, even Antarctica. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, I know, right? Uh, though the annual revelry is almost universally reviled, SantaCon's origins are rooted in counterculture. In mm-hmm. 1974, anarchist members of the Danish art collective Solvogen started the first iteration of SantaCon. During Christmas time, about 30 men and women put on Santa costumes and staged protests throughout Copenhagen, raging against the greed and capitalism that have corrupted Christmas. That's a very Piscean thing, actually. Oh. Um 
they gave impassioned the other Pisces are also fighters for the, well, I don't know if fight's the right word, but they're very into the collective and like the very like on the liberal, not every Pisces is liberal, but the archetype of Pisces is like very, you know, dreamy, like not so much in touch with reality, but like very much like peace to the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they gave him impassioned speeches about economic inequality and handed out merchandise for free at department stores. Three years later, Bay Area resident Gary Warren saw an article in Mother Jones about Solvogan's protest theater. Um, Wayne was a member of the San Francisco Suicide Club, a secret society that encouraged adventures and pranks throughout the city. He suggested that the club replicate the rampage of, an an- of anti-establishment Santas in San Francisco, but the idea didn't gain momentum. The first SantaCon was organized in 1994 by Rob Schmidt, a member of the Cacophony Society, a less intense version of the Suicide Club. Schmidt didn't know about Solvogan or Wayne's proposal, but was inspired by a postcard to roam the streets of San Francisco in a group of people wearing Santa costumes. He gathered some friends and rented a bus, and then the 38 Santas participated in a snowball fight, crashed corporate holiday parties, and stopped by the Lusty Lady, then the nation's only unionized strip club. Hell yeah, ladies. Um, Using a body harness, one of the Santas and Burning Man co-founder, of course it was, uh, John Law pretended to have hung himself in public. Well, it's fucked up. The event caught on, and the Cacophony Society's Portland chapter organized its own SantaCon in 1996. All over the country, SantaCons started happening, and soon it was all over the world, unfortunately. As SantaCon grew in size and influence, so did its notoriety. What started out as an anti-capitalist hijink became a global pub crawl. And in San Francisco, participants ranged from working class folks to young urbanites. For local businesses, the reckless Santas emboldened by alcohol, vomit, public urination, and chaos on the trail. See, told you, it's so gross. Um... In 2014, a bank at Union Square was robbed by a man in a Santa suit who used SantaCon as a cover. Oh, I didn't know that. Bars and restaurants braced themselves for the yearly rampage, tightening security and going as far as banning anyone dressed as St. Nick. The gathering regularly goes without proper permits from the city. And in 2018, the festivities ended with seven Santas cited for public drunkenness and 15 others in need of medical attention. Those numbers seem low to me, actually. Um, that same year, two inebriated participants trashed a Pakistani restaurant on Polk Street. In an interview with Harper's Magazine, Schmidt distanced himself from the gathering and revealed that the few founders had thrown a funeral for the formerly counterculture event at one SantaCon. In recent years, organizers have been trying to improve SantaCon's reputation by shifting the focus away from drinking. Good luck, buddies. Um, on the official on the event seriously on the event's official website guidelines such as don't get drunk in public bring gifts and santa does not mess with security are listed tom DeBell, who also goes by santa tom and has helped organize SantaCon san francisco for the past 10 years i bet he's such mm-hmm. a douche man but he's oh, such a frat boy um stresses that the event isn't about getting smashed this year he is also urging participants to state this is written in 2020 um, or 2021 mm-hmm. to stay home due to COVID-19, stay healthy and wear a mask. He wrote when announcing the cancellation of the 2020 gathering. So I guess it was 2020. Um, there will be no Santa con this year, which also means no excessive public drinking. And Santa's passed out on the sidewalk. Oh, thank 
God, just the absolute worst. Um, and then I also wanted to quickly just hit you because Neptune um, in the 12th house mm. also rule over music with a quick little rundown. Mm. There's a lot of rankings of Christmas songs, but oh. I decided to go with Billboard. Billboard does the top 100. We're not going to go through 100. But do you want to do the top 20 or the top 10 of all time Christmas oh. songs as ranked by Billboard? <gasps> Which one? I 20 I, or 10? 10, I guess. 10. Okay. We'll go 10. Sorry if any of your favorites, guys, are in the... Uh, I'm just trying to keep it concise. through 11. No, yeah, no, me too. Christmas Eve, which is when this will drop. That's why I asked. So here we go. Are you ready? I am very ready. Okay. Here we go. All right. Number 10. Donnie Hathaway, This Christmas from 1970. Mm. Holiday Peak, number 25, January 2014. Why it's a gift. Soul pioneer Hathaway's prodigious talents as a songwriter, arranger, musician, and vocalist Perfectly capture the joy, fun, blessings, and love that embody the spirit of the holiday season set to an upbeat groove. Okay. Schmaltz Factor. This is really funny. They do like little, you know, takes on it. Well, everyone from Destiny's Child and Pentatonix to John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John have covered this upbeat song with varying degrees of success and Schmaltz. No one can eclipse Hathaway's original take, a heartfelt holiday anthem for Black America that's since become a popular modern standard. All right. Number yeah. nine, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen from oh. 1982. Holiday Peak was in January 2012. It's so funny that these like come out 20 years before and then peak years after. Yeah. Uh, why it's a gift. This 1934 standard has been covered by a fleet of heavyweights, including the Jackson 5, Supremus Michael Buble, and Mariah Carey. But no rendition captures the rip-roaring excitement over Santa Claus's impending arrival better than Springsteen's boisterous 1975 live version, which features copious bells, a festive sax solo, and America's dad riffing on how everyone in the audience is in trouble for not being good this year. Oh, Schmaltz Factor, five. Bruce is in full showman mode here, upping the cheese factor with those aforementioned bells and a rift about the wind ripping down the boardwalk. But anyone who doesn't crack a smile when this one comes on is just plain miserly. Yeah, I agree. All right, number eight. Run DMC, Christmas in Hollis. Peaked. It came out in 1987. Peaked January 2014. Why it's a gift. Curtis Blow's 1979 Christmas Rappin' and the Treacherous Three's 1984 Xmas Rap featuring Cool Modi arrived first, but Christmas and Hollis quickly became the holiday's definitive hip-hop song. Set in the then-primarily-black Queens, New York neighborhood of the title, where moms cook in chicken and collard greens, Reverend Run and Daryl McDaniels melded their hard-edged rap style and a sample of Clarence Carter's horny soul classic, horny. Oh. So, oh, they probably mean... They mean trumpets. That's not how I read it, but got it right after I said it. Oh, maybe not, though, because hold on. Clarence Carter's horny soul classic, Backdoor Santa. So maybe it was the first one. Yeah. With traditions and songs previously associated with the Bill uh, Bing Crosby crowd. Crowd. Eggnog, a Yule Log, and interpolations of Jingle Bells and Joy to the World. Schmaltz Factor, too. The song's not exactly tougher than leather, but its hip-hop soul keeps the Yuletide joy in check. As exemplified by the lyric, the rhymes you hear are the rhymes of Daryl's, but each and every year we bust Christmas carols. Boom! Oh. That's dope. 
That was <laughs> right? hey, like hey. dope. I mean, it wasn't as dope. It wasn't as dope wrapped by me, but I'm sure they did a good job with it. Um, we definitely anglicized it and made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this girl is from, not from Queens, but I did spend 15 years in Queens, but it, that didn't help me out. We me. just squirted a ton okay. of mayonnaise on it. It's no big deal. Move on. Yeah, sure. Ugh, I hate mayonnaise, but nacho cheese for sure. Yeah, pump mm. nacho cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nacho fries. Um, <laughs> number seven, Jose Feliciano, Feliz Navidad. Coming in at number seven. Thought it'd be a little bit higher. Um, came out in 1970. Peaks again, January 2012. Man, dude, 2012 was a big year for Christmas songs, I guess. Okay. Why It's a Gift, Feliciano wrote what he calls the first ever bilingual Christmas song in 1970 in the middle of summer in Los Angeles, in part because he felt homesick for Puerto Rico. The English lyrics were added to ensure radio play, but truth is, Feliciano didn't think much of a song that he hammered out in minutes. However, the irresistible Feliz Navidad proved the gift that keeps on giving, rising in popularity every year to achieve cult status. Today, it's a favorite in two languages. Schmaltz Factor, seven. Feliciano's deadpan delivery contrasts with lyrics that go from childish to heartfelt. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas from the bottom of my heart. And I guess he is kind of deadpan when he says it. Okay. Number six, Brenda Lee, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Mm. Love that one. Came out in 1958. Again, Holiday Peak, December 2012. It It was a hot year for Christmas. Why It's a Gift. Little Miss Dynamite was just 13 when she recorded and released this enduring holiday party starter in 1958. The reference in the song's title to rock, then just a few years old, and the rock and roll and rockabilly accents on the backing track gave this record a timely quality back then, and now are charmingly retro. Schmaltz Factor, four. It's not without its holiday sentimentality, but you probably love this record even if you wouldn't be caught dead caroling and would inexplicably pass on a piece of pumpkin pie i agree i hate pumpkin pie well i don't hate it but i don't get it sorry if that offends fair enough it's a hot take well well you like what you like they'll be fine you do you you like what you like all right number five bing crosby white christmas (gasps) my favorite 1947 white christmas is that a movie i don't watch christmas movies really yes my favorite christmas see yeah i learned I'm learning so much about Christmas through this. Bing Crosby, uh, Danny in... Kane, Rosemary Clooney. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. We didn't, I'm surprised we didn't really talk about Christmas movies this whole time. Interesting. Um, well, we got stuff to talk about next year. Um, it we peaked did. in December of 2015. Why it's a gift. Easily one of the finest pop compositions of the 20th century, White Christmas was recorded by Bing Crosby for the 1942 musical Holiday Inn. But it's better known by its by his nearly identical 1947 version. It's a song written by a Jewish-Russian immigrant, Irving Berlin, and performed by America's first true multimedia sensation, Crosby, which provided solace to oversee US, U.S. troops during World War II. In other words, it's not just an exemplar of Christmas music, but of America at its best. Countless others have covered it, but in the hands of Crosby, who once sang it to American troops who would never return home, oh. It attained mm-hmm. immortality. With 50 million copies sold worldwide, it's still the biggest physical single of all time, period. Wow. That's, wow. Yet still not number one on this list, I guess. Wow. Um, Schmaltz Factor. Yeah, right? You would think that would be de facto king. Yeah. Um, the Schmaltz, yeah. Uh, Schmaltz Factor 5. 
Thanks to Berlin's deft lyrical detail and simplicity, it's hardly hokey. Of course, White Christmas is inarguably sentimental, but in the right hands, such as Crosby's, it's melancholy, even elegiac. Oh, I don't know that word. Elegiac. So look that up. Meditation mm-hmm. on the simple things that make life worth living, even if you only realize it from afar. Oh. All right. Number four, Wham! Last Christmas, 1984 is when it came out, hit its peak in 2019 of December. Uh, released by Wham, when the UK duo, principally, of course, singer and writer George Michael, were at the very last peak of their international pop powers, Last Christmas is likely the brightest jewel in the Axe catalog. A never again torch song with an immaculate synth pop sheen and a true broken heartbeat at its core. As always, no one illustrates the helplessness of misguided affection better than Michael. Now I know what a fool I've been, but if you kiss me now, I know you'd fool me again. But the song burns just as brightly decades later because of how the holiday spirit inspires him to try harder and do better. Oh, yeah. Next year, to save me from tears, I'll give my heart to someone special. Aww. Schmaltz factor. I know. Aww. Uh, seven. Undoubtedly, the song leans into the drama harder with each successive You Gave It Me Away. Yeah. And the Ski Chalet set video is Cheese Central Natch. But the thing that gives it the, the song its most stomach-dropping resonance these days is undoubtedly the memory of Christmas 2016. I don't, I don't know. Oh, he probably died then. I think that's when he passed away. Okay. Um, all right. You ready for the top three? Lay it on me. Okay. Born ready. All right. Number three. Coming in with the bronze. Nat King Cole, The Christmas Song, Merry Christmas to You, 1961 is when it came out, peaked January 2014. Why it's a gift. With a voice like hot chocolate poured over a lush string arrangement, there's only one word for Nat King Cole's recording of the Christmas song, warm. The definitive version of the classic, which Cole's jazz trio introduced in 1946, wraps listeners up in a thick wool blanket as they sit fireside roasting chestnuts, even as it evokes ice-cold images of Jack Frost and Eskimos. It's no wonder that the song is generically titled The Christmas Song because it perfectly encapsulates the best of Christmas music with its sense of homey familiarity and cozy warmth. The marshmallows on top, that little taste of the Jingle Bells melody to wrap it up in a bow. Schmaltz Factor 3. Nat King Cole's earnest delivery and the song's understated string and piano production make for a timely, tasteful listen. I agree. Number 2. Silver. Darlene Love, Christmas. Baby, Please Come Home. I like that song. Uh, from 1963, peaked in December of 2020. Everyone was home then. <laughs> um, why it's a gift. The centerpiece of one of the finest holidays albums ever made, Phil Spector's 1963 A Christmas Gift for You uh, from Philly's Records, set. Love's signature song is a layered, lush pop symphony from the first note to the last. Between Spector's famed wall of sound and Love's full-throated vocals, Begging that her baby return home so they can frolic like they did last year. The song wraps itself around you like a warm flannel Christmas blanket. Schmaltz factor one. Nothing schmaltzy here. Just the buoyant melody playing counterpoint to love's unparalleled vocals that still feels like a revelation every time the opening bells ring. And number one, with the gold medal, what do you think it is? Not Mariah Carey, is it? Yeah, it's Mariah. Is it really? Okay. Yeah, what a letdown, right? I know, but... Not to take away from it, but it is just like a big song. 
I know, I know. I just, I wish it wasn't this one, <laughs> but it, it is played yeah. everywhere. So yeah, it makes same. sense. But Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, holiday peak December 2011, came out in 1994. Why It's a Gift. The twinkling percussion and the queen of Christmases, warm sugar, I, 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 I don't want a lot for Christmas, ballad-like intro have ushered in each of the last 28 Christmas seasons. And the ubiquitous 1994 Yuletide Carol just picks up from there as the 60s-inspired groove trots to the beat of church and sleigh-like bells and soars with her wintry whistle tones as she sings, Oh Baby, All I Want for Christmas is you. Uh, Schmaltz Factor. <laughs> Thank God. 10. All I Want for Christmas is You is all about wanting a significant other more than anything for the holidays. An expert singer-songwriter, Carrie, mm. somehow manages to capture that warm, fuzzy feeling with almost Scrooge-like statements like, I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree, and I don't need to hang my stocking upon the fireplace. She's like, I just want to get boned, babe. I just want kisses. Obviously, those are not the real lyrics. I added those. Um, of course, those aren't about being anti-festive, but simply about Carrie's wish list remaining Focused on receiving the ultimate gift, love. And that is the ultimate gift. And that is also also a very 12 and way to end that. So there you go. Top 10 Xmas songs of all time, according to Billboard. Wow. We learned a lot today. We did. We learned a lot. So, are you, you hear about something or... Yeah, I'm just going to keep it creepy just real quick. So... Great. You want to hear about Let's... Greek... Christmas trolls? Yeah, I sure do. Well, yeah. goblins, trolls, whatever. You so, say potato, I say potato. Yeah, exactly. So the Kali Kant Zeroy, or Kali Kant Zeros, singular, are mischievous Greek goblins, elves, or gnomes. They come up to the surface of the earth during the 12 days of Christmas from the end of December, where the sun will not move again until the 6th of January, Epiphany, where they cause all sorts of trouble and mischief. These 12 days are also known as the Winter Solstice, celebrated in ancient Greece in the month of Poseidon, and in medieval times, Yule or Yuletide. So, for the rest of the year, they live at the center of the earth, where they spend their time using a large saw to cut down the world tree, or the tree of life that holds up the world. The Kanzari are said to be small, black, and male, mostly blind, with long black tails. They speak with a lisp and eat small creatures such as worms, snails, and frogs. They only come out at night and are afraid of the sun, fire, and holy water. They enter houses any way they can, through windows, down chimneys, through keyholes, and any cracks they may find in walls and around doors. Once inside, they cause havoc. Rather than being evil demons, they are considered impish and stupid. So, very, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like, wow, like it, it sounds so like orchestrated and crazy. And then it's like, no, they're just stupid as fuck, and they just scurry they're around. Stupid, yeah, yeah big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, various. Just <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, oh, various amazing. stories of creepy Christmas imps and demons from other cultures may have them appearing on the twelfth day as werewolves and witches, etc. So, oh, wow. they have names and games, and I'm about to tell you about them. So, in yes. Greek for. I know. So in Greek folklore, there are lots of these mischievous, troublesome little imps known as the Kalikazori. 
maybe up to 20 and furthermore. They all have their own names and traits. And below, I've listed some of them. Depending on which story you read, names may vary or differ slightly based on my uh, own enunciation or problems. Here we go. Katachanas. Katachanas can't stop eating. He can't get enough and he eats everything in sight. He also stinks something awful. <laughs> and that's literally all he gets. <laughs> Moving on. I was going to say it was me until it stunk something awful. I don't want to be stinky, yeah, no, but I do eat gets. everything. Okay. So we're just going to move straight into Magaras. Magaras has a big fat drum like belly and leaves terrible, healthy smells all over people's food. <laughs> That's it. Oh, Malaganas. Malaganas is a slick one. He craves attention and will do anything to get it. He deceives children with sweet words, enabling them to filch their sweets from them. That's it. Mantracucos, or Protos or Custos. Mantracucos, the chief, stocky, short legs, clumsy, ugly, and dangerous to know. He hides away all day and at night. He goes out and teases women. So, <laughs> Capsomestis. Capsomestis. Excuse me. Capsomestis is a lame hunchback with a weak for pancakes with honey. So <laughs> let's move a on to Mock. with a weakness for pancakes. That's it? That's, that's yeah. this whole thing? He gets one sentence. Oh, that's and amazing. It is, that's amazing. Cops is a hunchback with a weakness for pancakes with honey. <laughs> and now it is no longer his it. turn and we're going on to Malapertus. Malaperta. Okay. If housewives forget to make sure lids are on pans whilst cooking food, Malaperta will grab the chance to urinate all over what is cooking. Oh okay. Oh so, Colo oh Velonos. Sorry. Colo Vel. Colo Velo. Here we go. I'm so close. Colo Velonos. Oh, Colo. Velonese. Oh, I did it. Cola Okay, I did it. Praise be to me. That thing I just said is long as a string of macaroni with a tail that ends in an arrow and can easily pass through keyholes, sieve, and colander holes. Wow, so many holes. He's so extremely holes. agile and fast in his movements. Okay. That's okay. Par that's his whole shtick. All right. That's it. That's everything. Pororitis. Pororitis. I did it. Pororitis has a long, soft nose like an elephant. He shows up shortly before the rooster crows and has a great talent for mimicking people's voices. Great. Katsipodiaris. Katsipodiaris. Or Megas Canceros Goatfoot. Goatfoot is the boss, vicious, miserable, rude, lazy, and bald, with a goat's leg. Not a pretty picture. Wherever he goes, he brings disaster. Cool. Oh, so cool, we go dude. to Planetarium. <laughs> Planet deceives people because he has the ability to transform into an animal. That's all he gets. Slot machine. That's slot has one, one so short arm and one slot long arm. Slot machine? 
That's all it says. That's all oh they gave God. me in this article. That's Slot Machine amazing. has one short and one long arm. He becomes terribly confused and falls about all over the place. Okay. <laughs> Vatracucos. Vatracucos is huge and looks like a frog. Pardon, I said that wrong. Vatracucos is huge and looks just like a frog. He got the shortest sentence of all of them. So, yeah. Who is Copsachilus? Well, Copsachila has huge teeth which hang over his lips. He likes to make fun of priests, and that's why he usually wears a fake priest's hat. Okay. Uh, Paganos or Protos or Megalos. I guess this is the last bit. I don't know. Paganos is lame and is said to have become so from a kick from Maro's donkey, a village girl who was once chased by Paganos, who wanted to make her his wife, but she hid in bags of flour that she had loaded on her donkey and managed to escape. How nice for her. (laughs) How nice for her. And the last little sentence is how to protect yourself for the Kali Kantzaroi. It is said that if you leave your colander on your doorstep at night, the Kali Kantzaroi, who can only count to two and consider the number three holy and will kill themselves before pronouncing it, will spend all night counting the holes. So... They only ever reach the number two and start again, so as not to utter the word three. Because they really are idiots, aren't they? It's not for me to say. I just pass along the knowledge. (laughs) Okay, I'll put a colander in front of my door in case they come and get me. I also, my favorite part about all of that, first of all, what an unhinged band of of friends. That was a little much. (laughs) So unhinged. So unhinged. Like, how high was the person who was writing that? Like, yo, let's let's write about these trolls, dude. One of them likes pancakes. Like, the other one, like, looks like a spaghetti noodle and has an arrow for an ass. Like, I don't know. That's it. Um, But it did crack me up that they all had, like, these, like, elaborate Greek names. And then in the middle, slot machine. (laughs) Like, what? Dude, right? I felt insane. I was reading it like, Okay, great. Yeah. I'll just say this out loud. Slot machine. No around like Cracky Kankanos. And yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, wow. We have gotten so much creepy Christmas out for everyone. I'm really excited about it. I've learned so much through this whole process. It was really fun. And as stressful as it was, I'm, I'm glad we did it. It was fun. I was super stressed the whole time. But real quick, no thoughts, just answers. Who was your favorite thing? The whole time. I think it would have to be Yule Cat just because oh, well yeah. of yours. Yule Cat, just because like we kept talking about with Bjork and stuff. I think Oh yeah. <laughs> but it, with a secondary thought, I also have to put in I'm sorry, I'm going for three, but Okay. Yeah. Recipe for seduction just kills me. Like recipe for oh, se- okay. seduction okay. kills me. And I also loved talking about santa you with you because okay 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 all right now i have to come up with three oh my god yeah yeah okay actually i do have my three and i'm sorry they're from kind of the beginning which i enjoyed all of it but i'm gonna say again mari lewd uh i love the fucking (laughs) treat and a beat or beat and a treat so sorry uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot rat about battle that. skeleton. Yeah. But also, yeah, I really also think unhinged. La Bafana needs 
a comeback. She is just, she got a hard thing, but she was so nice and I liked her. I think she was so sweet. Oh yeah. Okay. For a second, I thought she was the one that ate kids, but she's the one that like everyone thought was was, an ugly witch, but gave treats. Right. And they give her such a hard time and she went out of her way to be like good to all the children of Italy and to look for the Christ child. I really, I truly love Lava Fauna. And then my final one is obviously Kahatino. I just, I couldn't stop laughing. That little like poem that I had to read and then I told you and you were like cackling. I just couldn't. It was too funny. I lost it. The poop log. Yeah. The the poop log was amazing. Yeah. Oh, but I did have a ton of fun this whole time. But those were my faves, too. Me, too. We've created so many new Christmas memories and Christmas nightmares from all those <laughs> monsters that eat kids. But, but, but mostly good memories. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Gosh, can you, right, well, can you even say bye to the people, Kate, right now? I can't. It's so sad. It's so sad it's over. But it's not really over because we've got one more episode, a Christmas episode, and then a season finale. So, yeah, too. Um, but thanks so much for sticking with us for the first season. Hopefully we grow next season and it has been so much fun and I hope everybody has an absolutely amazing Christmas and is surrounded by loved ones and has a great time. Yes. And thank you for, thank you so much for joining us this whole time. We really appreciate it. And you're going to get by the grace of God and the hairs of my chinny chin chin, of which there are too many. I don't want to talk about it, but I'm literally, uh, I'm literally, while you said that, I'm sorry. I just, I have to say this literally while you said that I have tweezers in my hand and I'm plucking hairs from my chin. That's what I'm doing right now. Literally. (laughs) Literally. Like like, may God strike me dead. Literally. That's what I'm doing. Look at you. Just fully invested. No, it's just what I'm doing. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Yeah, I can't talk. In the tradition of the holiday, pluck a couple hairs for us and leave a nice review if you can. And we love you very much. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and whatever you celebrate, I hope it's beautiful. Have a great time. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Hello, ho, ho. Gaslight your friends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.